All right, before we get into God's Word this morning, a couple things. Um, first one is I want to encourage you guys to join Kathy over here in being a member of the Front Row Club, okay? So if there's anyone out there who would like to join Kathy as members of the Front Row Club, um, please come up and please make your way to the front. Or I'm just going to ask everybody to move up one row, but um, it definitely helps Kathy not feel alone. Okay, so thank you guys. I think you guys are the first people um, since we've been in this building to sit in the front row club. So thank you guys. And then it was weird because last week the whole front row was empty and then the back was like standing room only. And I'm like, come on, just move up a little bit. So anyways... But thank you, that feels a lot better for her, and that also feels a lot better for me, so thank you guys. All right, extra reward for you guys in heaven, so that'll be good. And then the other thing is, I want to let you guys know that May, let me, get, let me make sure the date is correct, May the 23rd, it's a Sunday, we're going to be having our church dedication, okay, so not baby dedication, but we're having a church dedication. Obviously, if you're with us online or you're here in person and you don't know, this is actually only our fourth Sunday here um, in this new facility. And so one of the things that God put on our heart was to um, dedicate this space, this place to the Lord. And so I asked my pastor, um, Pastor Rob from Calvary Chapel South Bay, he's actually going to come out that Sunday morning and he's going to share a quick word on, from the Old Testament about dedicating the building, the space, the temple to the Lord. And then he's also going to pray over our leadership team here um, at our church. And so I want to encourage you guys to, if, if there's no other Sunday that you're like, man, I have to be there that Sunday, please make sure that May 23rd that you guys are here with us. And um, after service, we're going to have the tent, we have the tents up for the children's ministry, so we're going to have a taco man come out that day as well, so we'll gather, we'll eat. So even if it's not for the prayer, even if it's not for the dedication, but I pray that the Lord would even use tacos to bring you guys out on that Sunday morning, okay? So um, we'll have some flyers coming up for you guys so that you guys can also invite um, family, friends, and ex-Coastline members, and so we, we will we'll invite... Um, we'll use that as an opportunity to just invite whoever the Lord um, would bring out that day. All right, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 this morning. We are finally going to finish this chapter. And so if you're with us, it was supposed to be a three-week little mini-series that's turned into a six-week long series. But I pray that you guys have been blessed. I pray that God has been speaking to you guys through Romans chapter 12. All right, let's start in verse 17. Let's read together and then we'll pray. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, 
I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for just this time you've given to us once again to study your word. And Lord, specifically now as we finish Romans chapter 12, we ask that you would take this subject, this topic of evil, that Lord, you would take this topic of vengeance, and God, would you speak to our heart this morning? Lord, if there's anyone here who's struggling with this area of vengeance, or repaying evil for evil, I pray that you would speak to their heart this morning. And Lord, we just thank you so much in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, you guys can title this morning's message, Dear Church, Let's Talk About Evil. Dear Church, Let's Talk About Evil. Here in our text this morning, the word evil, if you didn't catch it, was mentioned four times. In verse 17, it says, repay no one evil for evil. And then if you jump down to verse 21, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, before we get into teaching about the evil that's mentioned here, specifically in Romans chapter 12, I want to spend a few minutes focusing on a broad view of this word evil from Scripture. The Bible uses the word evil in two different contexts. If you're taking notes this morning, the first way that the Bible describes or references evil is evil is used to describe any disaster, tragedy, or calamity. You see, there are places in Scripture where we read that great evil fell upon a land or a city. Or we read that great evil came upon a person or a family. And the reference is, when it says evil falling upon something, the reference is tragedy, calamity, disasters come upon a land, a city, a people, a family, or a person. And so the first way that evil's used is to describe danger, tragedy, or calamity. Now, the second way, and we're going to focus a lot more on this one. For We're going to spend a few minutes talking about this. The second way that evil is talked about in Scripture, number two, is when it describes something or someone that is morally wrong, sinful, or wicked. Specifically, anything that contradicts the holy nature of God. Remember when King David sinned with Bathsheba and his sin was exposed by the prophet Nathan? You guys remember that? We've been, we were going through 2 Samuel and the prophet Nathan came. David had fell with Bathsheba. Nathan confronted David on his sin. Now, what's interesting is the first thing that David said when confronted with his sin was what? It wasn't, oops, I got caught. 
You guys remember that show Cheaters from like 10 years ago? It wasn't, oh my, you know, it wasn't this confrontation and all of a sudden, you know, the, here comes the camera, here comes the reality show, lights are on and oh my goodness, I got exposed on national television. It, it wasn't that. The first thing that came out of David's mouth was 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, when David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It wasn't my bad. It wasn't oops. It was I sinned against the Lord. And then in the Psalms, David takes the thought even farther, his sinning against the Lord. In Psalm 51 verse 4, would you write that down? Psalm 51 verse 4, David said these words, speaking specifically about being confronted on his sin. He says, against you, God, you only have I sinned, and listen, done evil in your sight. So when David was confronted with this evil, the very first thing, the very first person that he acknowledged was that evil was done against God. What was he talking about? You see, David was talking about, David was recognizing that in light of God's holiness, he had done something wrong. In light of God's holiness, he had sinned. In light of God's holiness, David had committed wickedness. He had committed evil. So David's confession is essentially him acknowledging his conduct him acknowledging what he had done with Bathsheba, him acknowledging what Nathan had just called him out about, him acknowledging it, and listen, and him calling it for what it was, evil. Let me give you one more example real quick. In Genesis chapter 39, we probably all know the story, we've heard it before, but there was a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was living in the house of a man by the name of Potiphar. And one day, Potiphar's wife, the man of the house, his wife, tries to seduce Joseph. And when it came time to say yes to her advances or no to her advances, Joseph's response was this. Would you write this down? Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. He said, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? When it came time, when the seduction happened, when, when, when she came his way to seduce him, the very first thought that came upon Joseph's mind was the same thought that David had when he was confronted with his evil. He said, how can I do this? How could I do this great evil against the Lord? God is holy. God is light. How can I do this great wickedness against the Lord? Now, there's so much to say about evil. I mean, there's so many scriptures as I spent time this week trying to put this together, I mean, I was overwhelmed by the amount of, of text in, in, in God's word 
that references evil. So as I prayed and I tried to narrow it down, the Lord led me to those two stories. But as I continue to pray this week, and as I continue to study and, and look into some commentaries and people who've written on the subject, I tried to find a really good description of evil. I thought, man, how, how can we define this? Are there words that we could string together to, to sort of narrow down what God's word has to say about evil? And this is what I, and this is the one that I thought was the best one that I found. There's a Christian philosopher and a Biola professor by the name of J.P. Borland, and he's written lots of books and he's, he's taught many classes. He said this about evil, and I thought this was good. He said, evil is essentially a lack of goodness. It is goodness spoiled. I believe that that definition of evil fits. It fits the Paul's description of what, we were, of what we're living in, the times that we're living in right now. You guys don't have to turn there, but would you guys write this um, verse down? 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives us sort of what to look for in the last days. What to look for because there are going to be terrible times, perilous times ahead. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, he says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times, terrible times will come. For men, women, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and listen, unholy. One of the marks that we are living in the last days and evil times is that you are going to see that there's this draw, that there's this pull, that people are gravitating towards living lives that are unholy. Living lives that when they're lived in the light of God's holiness, they're exposed for being evil, for being attracted to evil, for being drawn to evil. Let me continue reading in verse 3 of 2 Timothy 3. It says, people will be unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, and then listen to this one, despisers of good. Despisers of good. In the New Living Translation, it says they will be cruel and hate what is good. So how do we know we're living in the last days? How do we know that we're living in the times that Jesus talked about, that the Apostle Paul referenced? How do we know that we are living in these times? Well, take a look at good and take a look at evil. Take a look at the world. Take a look at people. It says that there will be people who are despisers of good, despisers of holiness. If we could go back to our definition from a moment ago, evil is spoiled, rotten behavior. Evil is spoiled or is a spoiled, rotten heart. This week, something evil circulated online and some of you maybe heard about it. And I was just made aware of it a couple days ago. And it has zero goodness associated with it. 
So yesterday, Chloe um, was um, scheduled to work, and she was, to work, she was supposed to work the 4 o'clock to the 11.30 shift at night. And so her coworker texted her yesterday, and she said, hey, do you, because we're getting off at 11.30 tonight, it's going to be really late, would you, would you like to carpool? And so it started this conversation where Chloe was explaining to me that this week there was a hashtag circulating online and on TikTok, and it was hashtag April 24th. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? And anybody, hashtag, you, you know? Hashtag April 24th has been circulating on TikTok. It was created to encourage men to rape women on April 24th is part of National Rape Day. And so her coworkers calling saying, hey, you know, we need to be careful. There's this thing going around. We don't know if it's a hoax. Do you want a carpool? The article that I read about it, it says the original video has since been taken off of TikTok, but people online and in real life are understandably outraged about it and horrified that something like this could be circulating. National Rape Day. Think about this with me for a minute. A video circulating online encouraging men to rape a woman. And not just encouraging it, but saying, hey, here's our day. This is your day. We're living in a very evil day. We're living in a very evil day. In fact, last night, you know, my daughter's 18 and a little bit stubborn. And so when her friend said, do you want a carpool? She's like, no, I got it, I got it. You know, and so even last night, me and Nathan, we, we drove to her work last night at, at 11.30, you know, to make sure that she made it to her car. It's sad. It's sad that someone can't go to work and feel safe enough to make it to her car without something happening to her. You see, that's the day. Those are the times. You see, 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy 3, isn't just some blah, blah, blah text about the last days and trying to scare people. It was a prophetic word. It's a word that tells us and shows us, hey, that's the day that you're living in. And so I want to encourage everyone here this morning, before we even go any further, I want to encourage all of us to acknowledge that there is evil and that there are hearts out there that are evil that there are men, that there, that there are vices of the enemy that are evil. And we're living in those days. Now, it's with that background this morning that we dive into our text this morning here in Romans chapter 12. Those of you that are like, man, this is kind of, this is a really down message right now. It's only going to get more down. I'm sorry. Read verse 17 with me. It says, repay no one evil for evil. In all of us, there's a yearning 
to get even. In all of us, there's a desire within our flesh to repay someone when evil is done to us. If we're to be honest this morning, it's there. If we've been wronged, it's there. If someone has talked about us, it's there. If someone has stolen from us, it's there. There's that desire, that yearning to repay evil for evil. But it leads us to a question this morning. How do we refuse the urge? How do we refuse the yearning? How do we say stop to that desire to repay evil for evil? Well, the first thing that I could think of this morning is that's why we devoted the first 15 minutes of our study to talk about evil. Because when, we're, when, we're, when we desire to repay evil for evil, I want all of us in here to remember what evil really looks like and where evil really comes from and how destructive evil really is. So when evil is done to me, I want the first thing that comes to my mind when the urge comes to repay it, I want the first thought to be, how can I sin and do this great evil against God? I, I want the first desire or the first thought to be, man, evil, evil is ugly. Evil is spoiled goodness. It's rotten. Let me stop and consider something else. Let me stop and consider another way. I want to remind you this morning that when you war with an evil person, there is also the evil one, Satan, who's at work in your situation. So this isn't a one-on-one -on -one battle. This isn't, you know, you're, you're in the alley somewhere and you're going to go heads up one-on-one -on -one with somebody evil for evil. What this really is, is when you decide, I want to repay evil for evil, it's you in an alley, you're alone, you're by yourself, someone comes up, you're about to get down, and then all of a sudden, a whole army of, of men, a whole gang of men come from behind that person, and now there's a war. And the war is them versus one. So when we decide, I want to step into evil, I'm not only fighting, I'm not only repaying, I'm not only battling against one, but I'm battling against an evil army. I'm battling against a host of demons. And I'm battling against one who's being used by the enemy and who the enemy has their back. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So although we're here, and although there is real, there's real war, there's real evil hanging out, there's real evil out there. We are not to wage, we are not to live, we're not to fight the world with evil. In verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, the weapons we fight with, the weapons that the Christian fights with against evil, they are not the weapons of the world. 
On the contrary, the weapons that we use, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Listen, church, recognize the greater battle. If someone has wronged you, if someone has sinned against you, if someone has stolen from you or talked about you or gossiped about you, recognize the greater battle. It's not a one-on-one, but it's a fight with an army. But it's a fight against an army of evil. Do not war with evil. I love how the New, Tra- the New Living Translation puts verse 17. It says, never pay evil back, listen, with more evil. Never. Because when you get into this repay, when you get into this back and forth with evil, you always have to one-up someone else, don't you? I mean, it's just it how, it's how it goes, right? If you spill water on me, I'm going to pour a cup of water on you. When, you pour the, when I pour the water cup on you, you're going to bring a bucket at me. When, you know, when the bucket gets used, now somebody brings in a hose. When the hose comes, then comes a real guy. I mean, it's, just, it's going to go back and forth. It's going, always going to be one-upped. And there's always going to be this desire where I have to pay evil back with more evil. Now, there's one more word I want to focus on real quickly this morning as we talk about repaying evil for evil. In the text, it says, never, never pay evil back with more evil. Emphasis, listen, church, on never. You see, never makes this exhortation non-negotiable. This isn't where there's some loopholes or if in certain situations, evil for evils, okay. The word never says no. It says stop. It says dead end. It says non-negotiable. No crack in the window for you to somehow find your way through and repay evil for evil. Never means non-negotiable. So if someone lies about us, we do not resort to lying about them. If someone gossips about us, we do not resort to gossiping about them. If someone steals from us, we do not resort to stealing from them. Never. Non-negotiable. We are to never take that path. Now, let me say one more thing. There is something that Paul is not saying. What Paul is not saying is that we have to ignore evil. When evil's done to us, we're not, we don't have to sit back and just huddle in the corner and pretend it's not happening, close our eyes, put a pillow on our head, and just, no, 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 we're not to ignore evil. But what he's saying is we are not to repay evil with evil. Instead of the person whose reputation is revenge, because some of us, that's our reputation, right? Evil for evil. I, 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 you come after me, I come after you. There's some of us with that reputation. But continue reading with me in verse 17, because Paul takes the thought a step further. He says in verse 17, have regard for good things in the sight of, 
of all men. So rather than having that reputation for being the person who always gets revenge, he says, how about we have the reputation for being the person who seeks to please God and please men, who sets the example in good things in front of God and in the sight of all men. This phrase here, if you're taking notes, have regard, it literally, in the Greek, it literally means to think beforehand. Think beforehand. So what verse 17 here is saying is Paul is challenging the Christian to think beforehand of the right way to live and then live that way in the sight of God in man. Think beforehand. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of us live life this way? Where we're constantly thinking beforehand. Where we're constantly thinking ahead. Before we say something to someone, before we hit send on the text, before we confront someone about whatever it is, how many of us are thinking beforehand? If I send this text, if I have this conversation, they've stolen from me if I steal back from them. How many of us think beforehand? I'll tell you what, if we were to think beforehand, there'd be a whole lot of situations in our life There'd be a whole lot of battles in our life that would have been averted. That would have never happened if we would have thought beforehand, if we would have had regard. One other thing I want you guys to notice there in the text. It says that we are to have regard for good things in the sight of all men. All men. I want to stop right here for a second, and I want to talk for a second about what your reputation, what my reputation is. When people think of you, when your name comes up or when your name, my name, crosses somebody's mind, what's your reputation? Is it for good things? When your name flashes into someone's thoughts, Are they good thoughts? Or are they thoughts of man, that person? Man, that person's hot-headed. Man, that person's always looking to argue. That person's always looking to fight. That person's always saying something that they can't back up. Or what is it that people think of us? What is it that we're known for? What is our reputation According to verse 18 here, we are to have regard for good things in the sight of all men. When men think of us, when women think of us, the first thought that should come to their mind, the reputation that should be in their thought, it should automatically focus on good things. This is a man of his word. This is a man of character. This is a man of grace. This is a woman of kindness. This is a woman of compassion. I pray, as Christians, as believers, that that would be the thing 
that's lived out in the sight of all men. Keep reading with me, verse 18. It says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully, peaceably with all men. If you have your pen, pencil, highlighter, something that makes a line in verse 18, there's a phrase that I want to focus on for a couple minutes. In verse 18, would you underline or highlight the phrase, as much as depends on you? As much as depends on you. If it is possible. But it's interesting that Paul chooses to start verse 18 with the phrase, if it is possible. Because we know that peace with others is not always possible. You see, there are two people in any relationship, and we can desire peace on our end, but no one individual has complete control of a relationship. If it is possible on my side of the relationship, if it is possible on this side of the line, if it is possible live, desire to live in in peace. And then the next thing, you guys underlined it, as much as depends on you. So in that relationship, whatever part is under your control, none of us control 100% relationship, whatever part you hold, whatever part you have control in, live peaceably, with all men. It's interesting that we always want to point the finger at the other side, don't we? In any relationship, it's always their fault. If you're married, it's her fault, it's his fault. Or it's neither of our faults, it's the kid's fault, or it's the neighbor's fault, or it's the boss's fault, it's our in-law's fault, it's everybody else's fault except my fault. Sound familiar? We all do it, right? We all point the finger everywhere. Yet here, Paul is saying, take some responsibility. That 50, half of the relationship, you're responsible for. There's a good chunk of it that you cannot point the finger in any direction. The only direction you can point the finger is, is to yourself and say, this right here, this part right here, The communication within my relationship starts here. It depends on me. Within my marriage, the way that I love my wife, the way that we communicate, the way that we are together, there's a huge chunk of it that depends on me. When I go to work and my boss or my coworkers is it, it isn't just everybody else in the building. There's a huge part of it that depends on me. On me. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, on us, on me, live peaceably with all men. Now, let me say one more thing before we move on, and I think this is important. So would you please listen? What Paul is not saying here is this is not peace at any cost. 
This is not peace at any price. You see, I believe that sometimes we so desire peace, or, or let, let me say it another way. We so desire the other person just shut up that we're willing to just compromise whatever it is our conviction and whatever it is we were standing for just to get someone to be quiet. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? We do, right? I'll do whatever it takes. Just shut up. Just stop. I just don't want to fight anymore. But this is not peace at any price. You see, if peace means that we have to compromise our biblical convictions, if peace means that we have to alter our biblical worldview, then let there be no peace. If it means that I have to sin against God, if it means I, I have to go against what God's word says, let there be no peace. But as much as depends on me, in a way where I can still honor and please God, live peaceably with all men. I once did a wedding for a coworker at a park. It was a male and female wedding. And as I was doing the wedding, there was a lesbian couple, like in the second, on the second blanket. It was in the park, so and on the second blanket, they were hanging out. It's pretty obvious that they were. And if you've ever been to a wedding that I've done, one of the things that, for me, is non-negotiable in the ceremony is sharing about where marriage comes from, that God-ordained marriage. And this is what it looks like. And I start in Genesis, and I talk about God made the man, and I talk about that, how God took from the side of man and brought the woman. I, I, I lay out, this is what God's word says about marriage. And then we go into Ephesians 5, and we talk about this is the role of a husband, of a man in the marriage relationship. And then we go into this is the role of a woman, a wife in the marriage relationship. And I'll be honest with you. When I got up there that day, and I saw that couple sitting there on the blanket, there was a part of me that became intimidated. There was a part of me that thought, I wonder what they'll think if I share what's in my notes. And there, for a moment, there was a part of me that thought, maybe I'll cut out certain parts of my marriage script or my ceremony script, whatever you want to call it. And yet at that moment, I decided, no, this is what I prepared. This is what I believe. And most importantly, this is what the couple that I'm marrying, this is what they believe. And this is what they desire before the Lord. And so I got up there and I shared the whole thing. I went through Genesis. I talked about Ephesians 5. And the more I talked, the more I could see the look on this couple's face. It was a look of hatred. It, it, it was a look of, I hate you, pastor guy. It was like, how dare you say the things you say? How dare you believe what you believe? 
every time I preach, there's the possibility that I make brand new enemies. In fact, this morning, you might be here, you might be watching, and you might be my new enemy today because you don't like my little story that I just shared. But the reality is, I desire to live in peace with people. I really do. I don't desire new enemies, and I don't want to be on people's hit list or hate list. But the reality is, if peace means that I have to compromise my biblical convictions, if peace means that I have to alter my biblical worldview, then let there be no peace. The areas in which I can control peace and still please God, I choose that area. But the areas in which it might offend someone, but I believe it to be true because God's word tells me it's true, I have to talk, I have to share. Go, go back with me to verse 18 real quick. If it is possible, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Keep reading with me, verse 19. It says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Continuing the thought of repaying evil for evil, Paul takes it a step further. He says, listen, verse 19, Beloved, fellow Christian, church family. Do not avenge yourself. There's no need to repay evil for evil. He says, notice verse 19, but rather give place to wrath. You see, there, there is a place for wrath, for vengeance, for revenge. There, there, there is a place, there, there's a word going around this week, especially with everything going on in the world right now, there is a place for accountability. That's like a big word right now. There is a place for accountability. <clears throat> but that place, it's not ours. Notice verse 19. <clears throat> it says, vengeance is mine. Quoting from the Old Testament, I will repay, says the Lord. And so when something's done to us, vengeance is the Lord's. Justice ultimately comes from the Lord. The Lord ultimately evens things out. Let me say this this morning. When evil's done to us, when we're hurt, when we're offended, what does it bring into our life? It brings anger, doesn't it? It brings anger. It brings this feeling within us where we're just, we're in outrage. Well, the New Testament, you guys know it's written in the Greek, the New Testament talks about two different types of anger. And so when you see that word anger or wrath in the New Testament, it points in one of two directions. The first direction is this. New Testament anger is this. It's a picture of someone with a short fuse. It's, it's a picture of someone who we might describe as being hot-headed. 
It's a picture of someone who's out on the basketball court. And every time someone's out on the basketball court, there's always that one hot-headed person, right? You can't foul them. You can't guard them too closely. You can't block their shot because then they're going to want to fight with you. And they're out there. You foul them. They're angry. They're in your face. But guess what? Within 30 seconds, once they get the ball back and they shoot and they score, they forgot that they're angry. You know, and, and, and then afterwards, you guys go to Buffalo Wild Wings and have a good time. I mean, it's like the anger is very short. In the moment, hot-headed, ah, how you feel me, ah. But moments later, it disappears, it goes away. Now, that's one type of anger, short fuse. But the other type of anger that the New Testament describes in the Greek is the type of anger that burns and doesn't go away. It isn't here and gone in 30 seconds. It's that anger, it's that burning that wants to see justice. That's why there is that temptation of evil for evil. I want justice. I want justice. And this anger, this burning, it doesn't go away. And if, if anything, it continues to burn and it eats you up. That's the type of anger that Paul is talking about here when he says, hey, don't avenge yourself. If something's happened to you and it's angered you, it's not your place. It's not for you to go and repay it. It's not for you to let it burn and you respond to it. Because most likely it is burning so bright and so hard and the flames are so strong that you are going to react. And the only thing that's going to come out of you is not good. It's not light. It's evil. So he says, how about we let the Lord handle the situation? There's this beautiful example in the life of Jesus on how to handle being mistreated, how to, how to handle being wronged. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, it says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in Christ's steps. It says he committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. It says when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, to his father, who judges justly. And to take it a step further, he was so convinced that his father, Father God, would handle the situation that it says in verse 24, he himself bore our sins. The very people who insulted him, the very people who made him suffer, the very people who beat him, he bore their sins on his body, on the cross. To me, if we're going to, if, if we've been wronged, we have to look to Jesus. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus handle it? Well, he did exactly what Paul is telling us. He entrusted himself to his father. He entrusted the situation to his father. 
and he took it a step further. He was willing to even die for the very people who would wrong him. Look at verse 20, because Paul offers the same counsel. He says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. So if the one who hurt you is hungry, don't kick him, feed him. If the one who lied about you or stole from you, if he's hungry, make him a meal. Make him a meal. It says if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, at first glance, when you first read this verse, the heaping of coals of fire on someone's head might sound like it's an episode of Criminal Minds, right? Oh, that's a good one. You wronged me. You hated me. You stole from me. I'm going to pour coals of fire on your head. It's like, oh, haha. No, no, that's not what it's talking about here. This is actually a good thing for our enemy. Not like, ha, here comes my evil. The burning of coals on the head. This is what it means. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. What is he saying? Show them kindness. Show them kindness. And what will that kindness produce? It will produce a burning conviction in their life. So when you love your enemy, when you feed them, when, when you give them a drink, you're only adding this, you're heaping coals, you're placing coals upon their head. You're allowing this burning conviction to come upon them. And the end result is either, A, they're still my enemy, or by bringing that burning conviction, maybe I've made a friend. Maybe the situation might change. But we're to entrust our situations to the Lord. We're to trust him. Let's finish verse 21, then we're done. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This word overcome, if you're taking notes, in the Greek, it literally means to prevail, to conquer, or to get the victory. So there's three ways that you can translate verse 21. The first way that you could translate it is, do not let evil prevail over you, but prevail over evil with good. The second way that you could say it in the Greek would be, do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. Or you could say it this way, do not let evil have the victory, but get the victory over evil with good. You guys can close your Bibles. We're almost done this morning. But let me finish with this thought. Overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. We are not to overcome evil with more evil. Let me say this again this morning. Give me your eyes for a moment, church. We are not to overcome evil with more evil. You see, I, I, I know. I know that there are some of us that are hurting, some of us that have been wronged, and everything in us wants to. 
but we are not to overcome evil with more evil. You are not to take something dark and add more dark. Let me say this this morning as well. We are not to come overcome evil with greater evil. Oh, you've wronged me? Well, I'll one-up you. Because let me say this. When you go to one-up evil, you have to somehow pull out darker evil, greater evil. And why would we want to touch that? Let me say this this morning. We are not to overcome evil with darkness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible tells us that we are children of the light. So when something is done to us, we're not to bring darkness into it because we're children of light. We're children of light. And let me say this this morning, we are not to overcome evil with methods that would please Satan. We, would, we are not to overcome evil with methods that would please Satan. Where Satan would say, man, that was a good one. Man, I can't believe how evil that was. I mean, he totally got his revenge. Man, vengeance was his. We are not to overcome evil with methods that would please Satan. Let me finish with this last thought this morning. We are to overcome evil with good. We are to overcome evil with grace. And we are to overcome evil with kindness. Be kind. Be kind. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you even for these past several weeks now as we have been in this little series here in Romans chapter 12. This little series here that has focused on the way that you have called us to live as a living sacrifice unto you. This morning, Lord, I pray that each of us, God, that we would desire, that we would make it our aim to be well-pleasing to you. In every area of our life, that God, there wouldn't be any area that's not touched by your spirit that there would not be any area of our life where the Spirit of God cannot speak into it. Father, even this area of being hurt, even this area this morning that we talked about, Lord, of, of maybe we've been wronged, I pray that we would allow your Spirit full freedom into every area of our life. And so, God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be, as James says, not only hearers of the word, not only sitters of Bible studies or studiers of of studies, God, but I pray that we would be doers of your word, that we would take the things that you have shown us here in Romans 12 and that we would do them, that we would live them, that we would have them touch our heart, our minds, our lives in the way that we live, in the way that we love. Help us to be doers, God. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's all stand.